Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. If you've been listening a while, you know that I'm a sales coach and trainer. I work with both individuals and organizations internationally to help them achieve measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network a couple of years ago to elevate the profession of sales for a place where salespeople can hang out with each other, network, ask questions, get great advice. We have a bunch of coaches and trainers on there, including many of my competitors, and everybody's happy to help. And if you've been with us before, you know that every Friday at 10 a.m., I either do a live training or usually a live interview with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. Before I introduce today's guest, if you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. If you're watching us live on Facebook but have not connected your account to StreamYard, it's just going to say Facebook user. I won't know your name, so please include your name. If you have any questions for our fantastic guest during the show, please do ask them. And finally, if you're watching us on the replay, please be sure to say replay in the comments. And with that, I'm going to introduce our guest. Our guest today works with CEOs. I'm actually reading because it's too long. Uh, CEOs, founders, and revenue leaders, as well as sales executives and sales leaders. He is the founder of Whale Boss, a cutting edge consultancy focused on providing fast results. And he's the host of the Scale Up Show podcast, which everybody should be listening to. Please welcome Ryan Staley. Good morning, Ryan. Welcome, or I should say, thank you for the welcome. I'm, I'm used to doing the podcast on the other side, so I'm like, welcome, welcome. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks, Jeff, for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. Actually, I'll ask you a question about that. Uh, when I first started doing this, I thought I wouldn't enjoy it very much because I like to be the one that's being interviewed. I like to be the center of attention, but I actually really enjoy interviewing people. Do, do you enjoy the interviewing side or the uh, being interviewed side better? It's a tough question, man. I like both of them. I, I think... It's, it's good to have a balance because I was doing straight interviews for so long and like it, I just wrote down literally yesterday, like all the amazing people that I've had on over the last few weeks. I had the founder of Deep Learning AI. I had Ray Dalio's head of his, his basically investment committee for the $200 billion Alpha Fund, which was the largest hedge fund in the world. And then earlier this week, I had um, basically the, a gentleman who took sales at Cisco from 400 salespeople to 6,000. And reported to Tom Chambers and then actually had the CEO, the now CEO of Zoom, Eric Wan, uh, report to him as the CTO. So like just amazing people that you get access to. But I love I love talking as well. So it's, <laughs> it's hard, man. It's really hard. I think. Yeah, I, I would say it's 50 50 for me right now. So I, unfortunately, I don't favor one or the other. I'm with you. I enjoy both. I actually thought I would not enjoy this side as much, but I really do because I get to talk to interesting people like you. Uh, good morning, John Hill. Good to see you with us. And Bruce Kassman, thank you for joining us today. Before we get to the questions that I'm sure everybody wants to hear about, I want to ask something that I'm uh, really interested in. You, like me, are a dog dad, and I'm actually sharing a picture of both of us with our dogs right now. Uh, can you tell me about this gorgeous guy? Or guy? Larry. Yeah, that's Larry, or we call him Lawrence or uh, Larone, whatever, because he's French. He's a French bulldog. So uh, great, great. I, I, should, I almost said human. Great uh, mammal, I guess you would say, right? Uh, it, just absolutely amazing. Super lazy, though, that I will give you is not a uh, cardio dog, but uh, loves pets. Will sit on your, your foot uh, to nudge you to pet him and probably, I don't think I've ever seen, he's never snapped at anybody or really ever gotten aggravated except if you ignore him for too long. So that's about it, man. Really, really great dog. Yours is pretty cool too. Is that a pug? That's a pug. That's Duke. And uh, like you, uh, he's he, he's not a cardio dog. When I got married a million years ago, uh, my wife said, why don't we get a dog? It'll be good practice for having kids. Ha ha ha. It's not. 
But, uh, <laughs> I, I said, I want to get uh, something like a lab, something I can tie a bandana around and throw a Frisbee with. And she said, no, I've got to have a pug. And I had never even seen one at that point. So we went to a pet shop. She pointed to it and I said, that looks like an alien, not a dog. But of course, uh, I wanted to make her happy. So we got our first pug. And Duke is actually my third pug. He's a rescue. He's just a delicious guy. And I, I couldn't love him more. And uh, awesome. I personally think dogs are the best thing on the planet. So uh, when I saw it in your description that you're a dog dad, I, I couldn't resist asking. But that's not why you're here today. Why don't you give us the two-minute background that brought you up to this point? And then I've got a bunch of questions for you because you're a fascinating Yeah, I can, I'll give the super uh, two-minute background. So uh, effectively, I started sales... I got, I got excited about it when I was early, early age, probably like 16, um, had a paper out, then effectively uh, had every sales job known to man on my way up the ranks. So started door to door in college, then basically effectively had um, an inside sales position, which is like an SDR, but you had to sell. So we had a, it was like a boiler room, moved into outside sales at the time, complex sales. And then mid-market, enterprise, managing teams, then created an enterprise group and grew that from zero to 30 million ARR and five and a half years with four salespeople. Um, we didn't have any marketing or SDR, so I had to get really creative in terms of how we executed against that. And so now what I do is I help founders and CEOs and, and CROs effectively implement those strategies in their business so they can get asymmetrical returns that are highly capital efficient uh, in, a fast, in a fast manner, right? So basically sharing what I learned the hard way, uh, how to do for them the easy way. So uh, I do that. And then the other side of what I'm focused on right now, uh, as I've been really, really deep into the whole AI world, uh, got turned on to that in November of last year with Dolly and have been really deep diving deep every single day with what I do and then how I serve people through how can we how can we bring that to the, the sales world, right? How can we integrate AI and make lives better with that from a productivity, from a skill set, from an outcomes perspective. And so that's that's kind of the other piece of it. Yeah, we're definitely gonna to get to that in a minute. Um, what made you fall in love with the art and science of sales at such a young age? I actually read that it was like 12 years old. Yeah, I think uh, the, the biggest thing for me is like, so my parents were, we were, I was lower middle income, you know, lower middle class, I guess is what you would say, not middle income, but lower middle class, right? So, uh, had a great life. My parents provided me. My mom was a teacher. My my dad was a, a cop. And, you know, the thing that I did not like is I saw them working their butts off and they could only get like incremental improvements in terms of their pay. Right. They had to wait for a promotion based on like how long they were doing it as opposed to their results. And so the fact that sales was directly correlate, correlated to the outcomes that you created was highly attractive to me because I'm like, hey, I can get paid on actually like how good I do, not just paid for, for being there and have to wait time or wait till someone dies to get promoted or leaves the company, right? And so that's what turned me on to sales. Mm. I, I had something similar happen, not quite the same, but uh, about a quarter of the way through my sales career, I, I decided I've had it with commission sales. I, the ups and downs are killing me and I'm just not going to do it anymore. And I, I took a job uh, with Air Canada in reservations. So you go through a two week training program, you know, how to actually do reservations. And the very first day I'm sitting on the job and you're allowed to talk to the people next to you as long as you don't have a call. And uh, after taking a couple of calls, I turned to the guy next to me. I said, how long have you been here? He goes, three years. I said, great. How do you get a raise here? And he said, oh, uh, you'll get one after 90 days. I'm like, oh, automatically. And he said, yeah. I said, well, how much will it be? He goes, 25 cents an hour. I said, well, what if I do a good job? He goes, 25 cents an hour. 
I said, right. what if I do a bad job? He goes, 25 cents an hour. I raised my hand. The supervisor came over and said, I made a mistake here. I quit and I went immediately back to sales because that incremental, you know, here's your raise because you've been here long enough doesn't work for me. And one of the things I love best about sales is you get to create your own destiny. Exactly. You want to get good at it. You want to work hard and smart. You can actually make a crap load of money and you don't have to have a college degree. I mean, it's not, it doesn't necessarily hurt. You've got one, but you don't have to be a genius. I always say, as long as you have half a brain, you can succeed in sales. Yeah. 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 I, I, like I, even if you like, I would say, here's the thing. I always kind of sucked originally at sales. Like I was never like a natural, uh, I think there's probably natural inherent like characteristics that I built over time. And those are like hard work and grit and persistence. And like, you could become a top 10% producer if you just leverage those heavily, even if you're not a natural. So I, I think there's opportunity there too, that a lot of people walk right by and say, Oh, I'm not, not a natural salesperson, you know? So yeah, I, I think the the thing that separates the we'll call them winners versus losers is that most salespeople never treat it as a real career and don't study. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I still read almost every book that comes out. I still go to seminars, and that's I started with Encyclopedia Britannica, and they had a great sales training program, which is what turned me into a salesperson. Uh -huh. Yeah. I did have some of the natural characteristics that tend to make you successful in sales, but it, it was really that training that said, oh, here's exactly how you do it. You also, you, you played college football, yes? Yes, I did. I did. That was, uh, that was fun. That, I mean, that was a great experience. I, once again, that helped shape like kind of my work ethic. Cause like in, in, it was interesting. I started playing football in second grade and was, that was something I was naturally good at when I was younger. Cause I was bigger. Right. And then I, <laughs> I went through puberty late. So I was smaller than everybody and I didn't play for a few years, like didn't start. And then freshman year, I, I outworked everybody started to get some time. The second half of the year went from third string to first string and then didn't let go in high school. We won state, went undefeated, were nationally ranked. And then that got the attention of colleges, got recruited. It was division three. So it wasn't like a, you know, big division one school. However, got a grant, uh, and, and it, was, it was a really fun experience. I played there for about two and a half years. And then I eventually, I'm like, hey, I got to figure out what I want to do with my life. I also wanted to travel international. And I know I couldn't do that or study international. couldn't do that. I was playing sports. So made that shift and jump. And uh, it's been great. You know, it's been really great because of that. So uh, if, if anything, what did playing college football teach you about uh, that helped you in your business life? Yeah, I would say there's a lot. I mean, the first thing you have to do, everybody talks about leadership and business and and how to do this, how to do that. But the first thing you got to learn to do is how to lead yourself. And I think at a very early age, like what that showed me is even though I I mean, I'm not like a I'm not naturally fast. I'm not, you know, naturally big. I'm I'm like 5'11, but like in college, I I ended up becoming like the strongest guy on the team. Um, I only weighed 220 pounds at the time and I was defensive tackle. Right. Um, so the reason, the way I, and the ability I was able to do that is cause I like worked my butt off in the off season, got really strong, worked really good. Uh, I should say really tirelessly on like foot speed and quickness and agility. And so that moved me up the ranks, even though like I wasn't naturally built for it. Right. And so I think that transfers over to business cause there's a lot of things you start off with and like this is hard or this kind of like sucks <laughs> you know and then if you really want it bad enough though you could find a way 
And so I think that's what it taught me to do in the business world. So I'm glad you said that because um, sales is not an easy gig. I, I, I always say it beats digging ditches in the hot sun. And I don't know that because I've never dug ditches in the hot sun, but it's not an easy gig. And, um, you know, all the work that you had to put in to become great at football in college, uh, I think applies in life too. So when things get tough, it's not easy to work that hard to become big and strong and fast and all that stuff. It takes real discipline. How do you stick with it when it gets, when the going is tough, when, when you, I don't feel like working out today or I, I'm good enough. How do you, how do you keep motivated? Yeah, I think in a, like Ed Milet's talked about this. Tony Robbins talked about this. I think, you know, reasons come first, results come second, right? So if you have a big enough reason or why in terms of what you're doing it for, then that enables you to push through the pain. I think that's a really, really big part of it. I also think, you know, there's foundational moments in life that I don't know if, if as many people are embracing it, but like even little things like like playing sports instead of just like opting out when you're younger and you're not successful. And like some people, some parents just let their kids quit, right? Because they're not really good. Whereas there's other parents that have their kids stay in the sport like, hey, you committed to this. You got to fulfill your commitment, follow through. And, you know, just something simple like that can be foundational to shaping a human later in life. And so I think there's little things like that that you build along the way. I think the other thing, too, is um, one of the one of my favorite books is called The Gap in the Gain. Have you ever heard of that book? No. So I give it I offer it as a um, for free as a thank you to any CEO that's on my my podcast, the Scale Up Show. And basically, it's written by Ben Hart, Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And what it really does is it looks at like human psychology. So I say the first thing is why. The second, like the why and your reasons, that's one. And then the second one is like the foundations of what's in the book, The Gap and the Gain. And that's really at like measuring, not like constantly chasing your goal. It's good to chase your goals, but more importantly, to measure your progress and in, in the results you're having backwards. Um, so that you can stack on that and be positively incented to keep going when things get hard. So I think those are the two things that I would lean on uh, to, to push through that pain. Yeah. And, and uh, I appreciate what you just said about having a parent that, that says, no, don't quit. And I, I'm ashamed to admit that uh, I was not that way with my son. I'm going to study guitar. He studied for a year. He stopped. And he was terrific. I'm going to do karate. He did it for a year. Stop. It goes over and over. And I, being the easy, nice guy parent was like, okay, honey, you'll figure something else out. And I kind of regret not giving him that toughness. Uh, you said your mom was a teacher and your father was a cop. Was it the cop that made you do it? Or were they both uh, people who made you stick to your commitments? Uh, I, I think it, it, it was both of them, right? They're both. Uh, and it, it wasn't like, here's the thing too. There are some times where you're like, you know, you try it for a year and you realize like, this is ex like the complete opposite of what I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, I'm talking about like quitting in the middle because you see that all the time, right? So, but yeah, both my parents definitely influenced that because my they're both really hard workers and go above and beyond to produce a result. My mom for her students, my dad for us and the family financially. So yeah, I, I think both of them were, were critical in that. Gotcha. Let's talk about sales because uh, that's what everybody's listening for. Uh, what's the biggest mistake that you see sell sellers making today? Yeah, I think... There's a couple of them, right? Uh, so one of them is 
the world, well, let me put it this way. Let me put this frame up. So the world's exponentially changed since prior to 2020 in terms of how buyers operate. Uh, it used, they used to be a lot more accessible in one space and they were more open to in-person meetings, right? So it was more easy to meet with a committee or a group for a large deal. And now a lot of folks are more dispersed. They're in the office less. So like you have to really work at connecting with people at an emotional level differently than you did before. So I, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that folks make. They just they just think it's not an option, right? And so they don't even put any effort into it. And and like I know that's not true because like when I my first like outside sales job or complex sales job, I effectively had to work and I didn't really I wasn't given a travel budget. So I was working a local territory, but then started working this opportunity from a company called Watson Wyatt, which is now Towers Watson, I think it's Towers Watson. They might even be a different name now, but they were like a $3 billion company. And, and effectively, like I was about to get the deal closed. Then all of a sudden they're like, Hey Ryan, guess what? We, we want to go forward with this, but you have to go through, there's a new director of sourcing. You have to have to, you know, just, I think it was just, just make sure that he's okay with it or something like that. So basically it wasn't, I just had to make sure he was okay with it. I basically had to start the whole entire sales process over and get him in, on board. But here's what happened, Jeff, that was really, really unique that people could apply today is that like, I didn't have access to him live. So all our interactions were like this over like a crappy version of Zoom, right? So what I had to do is I had to systematically connect with him at an emotional level, at a personal level, and in terms of how he was evaluated with KPIs for his business, how I could help with that, and then what was driving him outside of work. And I think people forget to include that in the sales process. So I think that's the first one. The second one I would say is also not quantifying the outcomes that the solution's providing uh, at the beginning of the sales process, right? So quantifying the outcomes so that the buyer knows it, you co-author it with them from a time um, motion as well as like, financial outcome that you can create. So I think those are the two biggest ones. Yeah. And that's a tough deal when uh, you're, you're almost there and they bring in somebody new. I actually lost the biggest deal of potential deal of my career uh, for a sales training gig, uh, long-term, a whole year, uh, big money, very excited about it. Uh, I won't waste your time with the story of all the things that went right to get me to that point. And then at the last minute, it was for a, a newspaper for the mm. advertising division. And the, uh, the publisher left and they brought in a new publisher who had a relationship with another trainer and I couldn't break it and uh, lost it. So yeah, that, that, that emotional connection and realizing you're dealing with a human uh, is essential. And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about shortly is AI. And uh, I have a lot of people asking me, uh, and I'm sure you're getting the question, too, you know, is AI going to replace salespeople? I don't think so, at least not anytime soon, but it is still a tool we, we should be using. We're going to get to that shortly. Um, I want to talk about something else that's near and dear to my heart, though. I, I believe any smart salesperson understands that their sales success is based not really on their ability to present and close, although those are certainly important things to do. To me, sales is based on your ability to ask great questions and listen to the answers. So how do we master the art of asking the right questions? Yeah, I think uh, so. I'm, I'm really, really passionate about questions, and I often get told I, I ask really good questions. So. Um, I, I think the most important thing is like it, there's questions that are relevant at different stages, right? So effectively, if you, 
you, you, you need to understand like what stage you're at and where you're at with the buyer. So I think it's, and then questions have to be a give and take. So it can't just be an interrogation. So for example, I just mentioned the area about quantifying outcomes, right? So an example of a good question, I think you have to look at it. Most people talk at the macro level, which is the company level, but then you have to break it down to the individual that you're speaking with and understand the KPIs in terms of how they're evaluated. So the key performance indicators on basically what their boss grades them on, on whether they're doing a good job or not, right? So what happens is if you ask questions uh, on a logical perspective, a business case perspective that tie into not just what's important to them at the company level, but what's important to them at an individual level for their job, then that's going to make it highly effective, right? Then the other side is more questions on the emotional side. And, and I'll give you this question. This is one of my favorite questions of all time. It's so super simple, um, but it enables you to connect with someone really fast. And so that question is, what is your favorite thing to do outside of work if you're not spending time with your family or your kids? What would you spend time on, right? And what that does is that gives you window a window of visibility into what that person's passionate about. And if they have any free time, what would they do that's fun or that they like? Okay. And why that's critical is because like, I've asked that question, I've had the most unexpected responses, right? And then if I connect with them on the, the give perspective afterwards, so like, right, I'm taking some information, but I'm giving back value in that area that they're passionate about. Like the, one of the, the first really large deal that we got uh, when I started that enterprise group was like $180,000 a month. And one of the key reasons why we got that is because I built a deep connection with the signer on the fact that he had a, a dynasty fantasy football league. And, you know, so I started sending him tips on it, things that, that would have helped him. And, you know, we, we geeked out on that. So there's just like little things like that. And I think that are super, super helpful when, when asking questions. So the logical side and then the personal side. I love that. What's uh, if you can remember, what's the thing that most uh, blew your mind when somebody said what they would do outside of work uh, without their family or yeah, I think one was, it was just kind of odd and I didn't expect it, is that there was a an executive, actually a GameStop, and I just met this guy and I asked him that question and basically he's like, oh, well, I love to take pictures of waterfalls. And he goes, I, I travel, you know, internationally twice a year or three, I think it's two or three times a year. And two of them are for places that have unique waterfall patterns. And so he created his own Instagram page with it, took it with drones, was showing it to me. Like, so that was something that I think was super unique that I've never heard anybody else get like super excited about. Very cool. How about you? How would you answer that question? Yeah, it's, I love outside of kids. There, there's, there's kind of two things. I, 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 two buckets I look at. One is more like, um, growth like i love doing like masterminds or events or going to things like that from an educational perspective uh that's the the one half and then the other half i love like amazing experiences right just like unique things that you don't normally get to do like uh and i'll give you an example so like we were in jamaica this was in 2019 and they had like i can't even remember exactly what it's called but there's only four or five places in the world where basically there's like this photosynthetic plankton, I believe it is, or photosynthetic, I can't remember exactly what it is. But what happens is it, it's basically in a water area where it's a combination of hot and cold. You go in there and you move and it looks like it's glowing, right? Wow. So like, like things like that, I think are super 
like amazing to do. And I love, I love doing things like that. Love that. That's great. Um, what are revenue sprints? Yeah. So I revenue sprints are basically effectively like implementing a system within 90 days or less to yield a big result. Right. So think of it as a compressed project. Uh, there's a lot of like, and there's nothing wrong with this, but fractional chief revenue officers or fractional VPs of sales. And sometimes if it's not clearly defined, there's not that tangible outcome. It's just like, okay, I'll help you with the team, right? And and so this is just a different way of like, okay, let's use this system, implement it, get it up and running, execute it, and then start getting results from it in a real fast period of time. So. So, so as opposed to the consultant who comes in and wants to stay there for years, you get in there and you help a team quickly. Exactly. And then Got it. Okay. And, and there was something else that I found interesting. Uh, I found a lot of stuff that was interesting about you, but um, you believe that we can create value and conversions through podcasting. Uh, how do we do that? Yeah. So I think um, real simple, I like you, you interview your prospects you know? Um, and if you connect with them at a human level, you provide value up front with, you know, giving them access to your audience, creating, um, basically making them the star of the show. And then you integrate questions within that podcast of like, of things that'll give you insights, or I should say, leading indicators of insights on whether or not you could help them or not. Uh, a lot of times after the podcast is wrap up, it's a very organic conversation. Uh, it's just like, hey, I heard you mention that your biggest challenge was this and you're struggling with this. Have you ever considered, you know, why? <laughs> you know, and it often leads to a conversation like, no, I haven't heard of that, you know. Um, and so that th there's really, really good opportunities, especially for B2B companies and doing that with larger deal sizes, because there's there's it's hard for people to get attention and it's hard for people to get access to sea levels. So that's something that cuts through butter with a warm knife on that. Brilliant. I love that. That's, a, that's really, really clever. And good morning, Don Levine. And good morning, Ray Aurora. And good morning, Pete Ekstrom. So I do want to discuss AI because I'm fascinated. And uh, I just want to read a couple of things that you've recently done. Yeah. Uh, well, you found three simple use cases to get a prospect's attention by leveraging business acumen that normally only a 20-year veteran would have. You used a video marketing tool to turn a 24-hour, $600 a month editing process into a 15-minute, $50 a month process for higher quality output. You created an entire sales organization with compensation, KPIs, management process, enablement plan, hiring description, and tech stack for less than 300 bucks in only 20 minutes. So we all know that AI is changing the way we work. We do a lot of things, and you're working on sales AI. What can you tell us about it? How can we use AI as a tool in our sales arsenal and how do we avoid getting lost in the AI labyrinth? Yeah, so so I started writing about this and because I love experimenting and, and finding like unique patterns that go together. And so there's, if you look at sales as a whole, like to be really good at sales or sales leadership, you have to have about 18 different skill sets, like maybe even more than that. Because I, I actually wrote them all down and mapped them out and then if you look at the personality types, like let's say the disc profile of, of what types of personalities are good at all of those, the results are zero. There's nobody that's good at all those, right? So you'll have some of them might be like dominant people would be good at, at this, whereas a conscientious person would be good at, at Y. 
So effectively, you have someone that's trying to do so many different tasks with, with unique skill sets that are needed, and it becomes really, really hard. And then I, as part of an entrepreneurial group, I took a, a Colby score. Have you heard of Colby, like personality test at all, or no? Not that one, no. I've taken a bunch okay. of them, not that one, though. And, and so basically what it does is it identifies that there's a bunch out there, but what it does is it, it identifies like your mode of operation and, and who you are and how you act. And it was funny because I was talking to one of the administrators of it and it really stuck out to me because they're like, hey, did you know that there's only two things in, in Colby that are recommended no matter what your personality type is? And I'm like, no. I'm like, and unfortunately, she didn't tell me both of them. She told me the one that, that was interested in. This is what stuck out to me. But Basically, do don't do a lot of things, but but do fewer things really, really well. It's like don't focus. So if you look at it, it's like sales is failing. We have like a seventy percent failure rate in terms of people not hitting their quota. CROs are have like an eighteen month average sales length, which is abysmal. And so we have a massive failure rate, and we're asking people to do everything that's even outside of their skill set. Skill set. So I look at AI as a tool to bridge that gap, so that you don't have to effectively be a master of everything uh, and and basically focus on the things that you're really good at. So um, I would say that's that's step one. How to not get overwhelmed is to start really small and really simple. And so like this is probably the most common question I get asked is it's like, how do you get started with AI if you're not using it specifically for sales? Because you think it's like a technical um, area, but it's not. There's technical, but it's, it's very learnable. So simple way to get started is Basically, get a ChatGPT account or an OpenAI account and go on there and something that you would normally ask Google or something that you would normally do in your job that requires any kind of writing, try and do it through that instead and spend a half hour doing it, right? So what will happen is the first time you use it, your, your output's going to be okay. But the more you use it, the more you understand the nuances to it. And then you can kind of stack results from that. And that's when you start getting into more complex like workflows, whether it's like like that one you talked about, like turning a sales org in or creating a sales org in 20 minutes. That's basically stacking multiple prompts in a sequence or in an order, right? Um, the one about the video service, like that's something where it's a tool replacing a whole outsourced component. There's that. Then there's also even like plugin stacking where you could leverage different plugins that are on there. Give one command and it'll do all three things at once. So you could graduate to those other areas, but don't try and keep up with every tool. Don't try and keep up with every announcement. There's so many of them. Just start small, start using it for your job, and then you can grow from there. Wow, and you, uh, I'm sharing my screen. You generously uh, put up, uh, at least on your LinkedIn feed, two different cheat sheets. How, how do we best use those? Yeah, so the one on the left, the B2B sales AI cheat sheet, I think just leverage that. I mean, you could, that's like, like basically a very, very simple way. So when you when you go to do what I just mentioned, grab that cheat sheet, leverage it, and you know, start applying it. And, and that'll give you a lot of shortcuts on how to begin and how to be effective, right? Then the one on the right, the code interpreter. Code interpreter is more you hear code and you think of like building and coding applications. Code interpreter actually is really good for data analysis. And so if you want to analyze like a spreadsheet or a CSV, you could upload it and ask it questions. And then it can create graphs, charts, uh, memes, and even like feedback on the data that you put in there. The one caution I would say is just be careful about putting anything that's too sensitive from a confidential data perspective, because 
you know, allegedly it's, it's not, the model's not being trained on that. However, like I have concerns. And so I wouldn't put anything like super confidential on there. Yes. I've seen Terminator. I have, I have concerns too. <laughs> I don't, I don't want AI to take over, but it is a tool I think we should all be embracing. And I think a lot of it, it looks like you're, you're getting masterful at it is how do we frame the question properly uh, to ask for exactly what we want? Cause it is just a robot. In responding to our instructions. In fact, you call Chat GPT the Free President's Club advisor. Uh, what, is there anything in particular we need to know to effectively use Chat GPT? Well, it, I mean, here's the thing: if you follow my content on LinkedIn, like I, I give tips on it all the time. Um, I have a, a newsletter called Superhuman Revenue, where basically you get it straight to your inbox every week. So you can get that on my website, RyanStaley.io. Um, but for using that, like basically those were 10 prompts in multiple different areas that all you have to do is copy and paste it and like change a couple words and it'll give you the output you want. Right. So that was built by design. So once again, like I could bridge the gap from some, something that a lot of salespeople view as it's too technical to, Hey, this is really easy for me to do. So um, thanks for popping that in there. And and Peter, I'm I'm sorry to hear that uh, Venn diagrams. Yeah, I think they're pretty cool. I probably should use them more. And uh, sorry to hear that you have a, a face for radio on the video podcasting. I wouldn't. I would just keep rolling with that. I don't have like the most beautiful video face either. So just keep rolling with it. <laughs> Peter is a friend of mine. He's a an outstanding trainer on cold calling. In fact, he invented what's called the goal, the cold call. And I think he actually needs to be a stand up comedian. He's constantly putting in funny stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So um. We're halfway through 2023. We're almost uh, two thirds of the way through the first uh, uh, month of Q3. How can we create a sustainable sales pipeline for the rest of this year and going into 2024? Yeah, I think it all depends on, well, there's there's a lot of it depends. It depends on your deal size. I think that's that's the first thing you have to look at, like the, the average deal size that you're working and then where do your customers hang out, right? Because like, a lot of folks are just like on, on LinkedIn talk about like, oh yeah, you could get any customer you want on LinkedIn, but there's some customers that are not on LinkedIn, right? So like, I think that's truly, truly critical to understand that and not just go with what the talking heads are saying. So I think there's like three really simple ways that are capital efficient that you could leverage this for. So if we're talking about like the cold call or the cold outreach, there are a lot of ways where you could leverage AI for hyper-personalized custom uh, output to create sequences and to create content uh, as value add after or before or lead with value. So I think that's one opportunity. The other, and this is a lost art that many people forget, actually help companies set up and systemize this is referral led growth. Uh, like literally 80% of, of customers said they're willing to provide a referral, but only like 36% of salespeople are asking. Right. So like that's the lowest of low hanging fruit. It takes a little bit of effort because you have to understand, like you want to make it seamless for them and super easy. So usually a great time. You got to have to look at like the time you have to make it easy. And then you just have to do a little prep work before. And when I say prep work, it might be like 10 minutes before a meeting. Right. So I would say the referral piece is so underused. It's starting to become a little more popular now. But effectively, there's a couple simple ways you could do it. You could look at uh, the connect your connection, your link, their LinkedIn profile, comb through the connection with filters, identify who's in your ICP, have those exported to a spreadsheet from a tool like Apollo or Zoom Info, and then when you meet with them, you just say like, "Hey, like if they're happy, right? You want to make sure they're happy first. 
uh, here's here, like, would you be open to connecting me with some people that, you know, similar like you that, that would be, would find value in what we're doing. And, and nine times out of 10, they'll say yes. And then it's like, awesome. Here's like 10 people I saw you're connected to, which of these people, you know, do you actually know? Usually that'll cut it down to five. And then of those five, you just reach out to them and copy the person that referred to you. The other thing that you could do that's so simple too, is take them out to lunch and ask them, you know, different customer, take them out to lunch every week and ask them to bring, you know, a peer of theirs, mm -hmm. like the lunch. So simple, so old school, right? That's another one. Uh, and then last but not least is like start a podcast, start a video show. It, can, it doesn't even have to be a podcast. It could be like uh, a, a video show on YouTube or it could be LinkedIn, like kind of what we're doing now. Right. And, and just do it consistently and start interviewing your prospects. And then those are three simple ways to create pipeline in 23. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I'm, I'm consistently stunned by what you said, which is true. Salespeople just don't ask. Uh, I, I, I know that uh, I used to work for a large sales training company before I opened up my own firm. And um, my first client was fairly large. And after three months of working with his team, I'm sitting in his office and we're chatting about, you know, how things are going and what we're going to do next. And I said, I said, hey, uh, Phil, um, as you probably know, I grow my business through direct referrals from happy clients just like you. Who do you know that I should be speaking with? And uh, without missing a beat, he looked at me, and goes, I've been waiting for you to ask. And he gave me two great referrals on the spot, one of which turned into a deal. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but in, in this career, I've had maybe eight one call closes. Normally, I have to meet with people more than once. But. One of them was a one call close, which was stunning. And the other one took four and a half years, but it eventually closed. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's it's just ask because the people that can give you a great referral typically are busy people and they're worried about themselves and they're, they're focused on them. Uh, they're not sitting and thinking, how can I help Jeff? How can I help Ryan? So you simply prompt them by asking. I, I, I think that almost all salespeople would be way more successful if they just did that, just ask. Because a well-made referral, a well-made introduction takes you halfway to the, they're halfway closed before you even get there. Exactly. If the introduction's well-made. Yeah, I, I think like to, to add on to the ask, I think the other thing now that's so critical because people are pulled in so many different directions is having a specific ask, right? If you just ask open-ended, you'll get maybe a result 20% of the time. However, if you if you come with names, whether they be colleagues that are for cross-selling or expansion or people that are connected to in their network, that makes it easy and a frictionless experience, just like buying on Amazon. So it makes it easy for them to refer. Yep, absolutely. I, I'm a big fan of always making it easy for people to do business with you, including get referrals. So many times I find people are making it challenging for the prospect to actually say yes and hand you their money. Make it as easy as possible. Let's let, let's grease the skids. Um, what, what is hockey stick growth? I didn't understand that one. Oh, yeah. It's just like, you know, like a hockey stick is like this. So it's just, it's very... A like rapid, fast peak growth. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm very big on talking about prospecting because it seems to be that almost every client I get, whether it's corporate clients uh, for training or coaching clients, the number one challenge they're facing is their salespeople are simply not meeting with enough prospects. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how good you are at selling. If you're not speaking with enough people, you cannot close enough business unless you get very lucky. And I don't, I'm not a big fan of waiting for luck to happen. Uh, so you've said that a cold email strategy is the key to expanding your network, to generating leads and scaling your business. What strategy or strategies should we be using for cold emails? Yeah, I think uh, there's there's a lot of different ways you can go through it. And, and 
when I said that, I mean, that's a part of it. I think multi-channel is the best, right? Like across social, um, even integrating some calls into there or text if you get it at that level of the relationship. But I think there's multiple ways. There's there's KPIs, like how they're evaluated. You can literally ask ChatGPT, like how your target customer is evaluated. What are their biggest challenges in doing that in a down market like we have now? And then emotionally, how do they feel when they're experiencing those, right? So that'll give you, by asking those three questions, and the good thing is you don't have to create a separate chat. You could do it the first time. So, so basically it's like, hey, how do I have a, you know, what are the top, five challenges that a chief revenue officer is facing in 2023 in a down market with, and you just give descriptors and then you do the rest of the prompts that I just mentioned. So that'll give you opportunities to uh, create that. There's other things too. And I haven't even talked about this, man. Like I haven't, I haven't personally tested it, but I know it's going to work is because like, for example, then also get creative. Like there's that, which is more of the cold email at scale. Um, and then on top of it, you know, so that's by like role challenges, KPIs, like how they're evaluated, because most people don't talk to them that way. The other one that's super simple that I think you could do. And like I said, this is one I'm, I would love for someone to try. I'll, I'll probably try it. I am going to try it actually with some projects I have coming up, but like you could literally like leverage like ChatGPT and say, okay, create an Amazon press release for this company doing business with me. And then the outcomes of what it's going to be like and blah, 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 right? Then in the subject line, you put Jeff Bezos, asked me to send this to you, right? And then basically you have it like, because that's what they use to like get projects approved is they create a press release in advance of the outcome of the project. That's a requirement for them to get approval. So you could do that with a prospect. So there's really cool writing things you could do like that, that if you just think creatively and then tap into AI, you could effectively execute that. You could also do it for like customer reviews, like of their competitors, right? Like the weak competitor reviews. You can find out where the opportunities are. Then you can also find out like, you know, how you could solve their problems based on the opposite of what they're complaining about in the negative reviews, right? So those are just, I think that's like five examples, but. Um, now, are, are you suggesting you would send out an email saying Jeff Bezos said, asked me to send this to you with the, yeah. the subject line? Yeah, why not? Well, and then, and then the email goes, then you put the press release in the video. Or you can put a little disclaimer at the front and you can just be like, actually, Jeff Bezos didn't ask me to send this to you, but he he helped me write it. Or or you can just put like Jeff Bezos helped me write this for you or something like that, right? Like that's unusual. That's going to get people's attention. Like, you know how many crappy outreach, outreach messages I get on a day-to-day basis? Like many don't even call me by the right name or they, they don't even know what I do, you know? they. Anyways, so yeah. Yeah. I had a moment of concern there because I'm very big on being 100% honest. And as long as that disclaimer's in there, it's fine. But I'm with you, man. I, when I get it, dear Mrs. Goldberg, what? <laughs> or, you know, we help recruiters like you. What? I'm, did you even look at my website? I'm not a recruiter. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's so annoying. And, and I'm a big fan of being direct and straightforward. Uh, I, I like to ask a question that I know is on their mind. And I, I guess ChatGPT could be a big help in doing that. Like, uh, I'm assuming that like me, you're talking to VPs of sales and people like that. And uh, I'll say something like, you know, a lot of the VPs of sales I'm speaking with are telling me that they're having trouble because their sales cycle keeps getting longer and longer and longer. So mm -hmm. I find bringing up a, a problem that I almost am sure they have is a great way to engage in a discussion. I'm also with you, though, a, a multi-pronged approach is essential. Just set, just making cold calls, just sending emails uh, is typically a recipe for disaster because 
people are, are, are different people are going to respond to different things. And I find that the more touches you make in various ways, the more they start recognizing your name and the greater the chance of them actually having a conversation with you. Uh, are, are there any other methods of prospecting that you feel are really strong uh, right now that we should be using? Uh, yeah. So another one that I think works really well is if you get in a community or forum where your ideal customer is and you just answer questions, right? Like just help them and answer questions. Like I've gotten two or three meetings with C-levels just from answering one simple question in a forum, right? Where they reach out to me. They're like, Hey, I really like what you said here. Um, we'd love to talk to you more. Right. Like, I, so like, that's something that I think is really underutilized. So it's it's kind of like, I think with all these different areas, you experiment with what works. And then the goal is not to keep looking for new, but to lean into more on what's working and, and work out less. And that's something that I'm personally working on right now myself too, because I, I love doing new stuff. Um, but that's something that, you know, is very, very simple to, to do and refine over time. Yeah, I love that one. It, it's so funny because as you were saying, and I'm like, oh, gee, I used to do that. Why don't I do that anymore? Uh, you know, as you know, LinkedIn has groups for just about everything. And I used to go into where my clients are hanging out, CEOs, company presidents, VPs of sales, and just look for them to be asking questions and answer. Uh, and like you, I've had people reach out to me saying, hey, loved your answer. Or the other thing I love doing is posting content on LinkedIn, which I know you do, too. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of the direct reach out, especially the one where, you know, you connect with me. And the next thing you know, I've got a, a message from you saying, hey, I'd love to show you how coaches, I help coaches like you get a million leads for no money in 10, 10 seconds. Uh, please don't do that to me. But by, by generously giving uh, uh, information that helps them, I've had way more than one person reach out to me, say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about training my team, being my coach or something like that. I found that the, 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 um, the more generous you are, you attract into your, your life and your business the people that you want to work with. And John Hill says, I find if you are old school sales, you want to get belly to belly with the client. If you're new sales, you want to get on Zoom to talk to the client. Uh, uh, I'll ask you, what's your take on that? Because I've got one too. Uh, well, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of value in that. Like meeting live, like any big decision you want to meet with the person live, like Sam Altman, wrote about this, the CEO of OpenAI is like, there's so many times in my career, there's like three or four times in my career where if I didn't meet with them live, my entire direction of my career would have been completely different. So I think there's a lot of value in it. Uh, the, the other thing you do have, you have to, I think you have to be a master of both, right? Like, because a lot of times there's certain people that just won't meet live right now. It's crazy, right? Um, however, I, I think a balance of both is really, really strong because most people tend to only do virtual. Right. And they forget about the art of like seeing real humans in life. And uh, that's that's uh, it's really important. Yeah. And there's something to be said for shaking somebody's hand and really being able to read their body language when it's right in front of you. I believe that there's nothing more effective than a face to face meeting, but it's not always the smart thing to do. Uh, you know, I could I could fly across the country to California to meet with a company, which is going to take me five and a half to six hours. And then I have to get back and have the meeting with them. But. I can chat with them on Zoom for half an hour and save a heck of a bunch of time. Is it as effective? Well, which is more important, the the, the shaking the hand or the the time? And I, uh, you know, it has to be on a case by case basis. Right. But, but, exactly. Uh, there, there's there's in the scheme of things, in my opinion, it's always face to faces first, and after that, it's video and phone and everything else. Um, I, I want to read a quote from your website because I was blown away. Uh, this is from 
I hope I pronounced her name correctly, Vera Markarov, the CEO of, of Apple. Mm -hmm. And she, she said, Ryan was instrumental in launching Apple's podcast, the cornerstone of our growth and content strategy for next year. It created 500,000 in pipeline before we even launched. I was blown away by that. His recommendations literally changed my life, not just my business. Wow, how the heck did you do that? that, that that's awesome. Oh, yeah, with her, it was, it was the the program of, of podcasts that I tell you. So that's one of the revenue sprints I do is I help founders implement a podcast and then turn that into sustainable pipeline. So I met her at Saster last year and she's just like, hey, this is my biggest problem. Didn't have a big team or anything like that. Um, didn't have a ton of customers. I mean, she had a decent amount of customers, but uh, so I'm like, hey, this is a super simple way. So it was a combination of that. And then also like time, like she, she was very deep time-wise in a lot of different things. And so basically there's, there's a couple of strategies I use with her to carve out and free up 10 to 20 hours a week so that she could spend time being a CEO versus being in all the, the tactical day-to-day -day things. So I think it's a combination of those two is why she gave me such a glowing response. Great lady. She's doing great. Her podcast is awesome. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun working with her. That's terrific. Yeah. And speaking of awesome podcasts, yours is called the scale up show. Where, where do people find that? If people want to listen to the scale up show, how do they find you? Yeah. If you just look at my website, ryanstaley.io, it's on there on the podcast, my LinkedIn profile too. I have, I just updated this morning. So I have, you know, links to that. If you want to join it, you can click on that and follow or like Apple or Spotify, right? Like I'm on pretty much every podcast network for that. So. Gotcha. And I put your website uh, into the chat because I look for Ryan, ryanstaley.com, whaleselling.com, and I kept getting, there's nothing like that. So it's .io, everybody, if you want to follow Ryan, his website is ryanstaley.io, and you can find him on LinkedIn. I follow him. You should too. Uh, as opposed, And I think about almost 13,000 other people are following you on a daily 20, basis. 22, man. I'm at 22. 22. Oh. I'm at 22,000. Not bad. Not bad, my friend. Who was your favorite guest on, on the Scale Up Show, and what made them your favorite? I've had so many, I think this is recent recency bias, but Doug Denerline was the gentleman I mentioned such like a kind soul. He was the gentleman that, that grew Cisco's sales team from 600 to 6,000 and had the CEO of zoom work for him. Then also took a startup from zero to hundred million and then has another startup that he just created. So, uh, he, what really impressed me about him was not just his, like what he did and his depth of knowledge, but also the fact that he like literally uh, was talking about the best leader that he worked for. And he was talking about Tom Chambers. He worked for Mark Benioff for a little bit too, which was interesting. Like directly, he directly reported to Mark Benioff. Um, but with Tom Chambers, the former CEO of, of Cisco, he was telling me the stories about like how good of a person he was, like of what he would do for employees and treat them like family. Um, and Cisco is a massive organization. But like an example of that is he's like, yeah, there was a, a lower level woman on my team, great person, like was told that she had cancer and she was going to die within, you know, six months and it was untreatable. And he got her into a hospital with a certain specialist and she's still alive today. Right. And so like stories like that, that I think are really cool. Uh, so it was a really good episode, at least from his experience. And then, you know, from a feel good perspective too. And you, you've interviewed some pretty damn impressive people. I, I think you also interviewed the CEO of a trip advisor who went on to a, it was Travelocity, CEO of uh, or founder of Travelocity. He's like the chairman of Kayak. Um, that, that guy was pretty cool. Uh, Terry Jones. Um, I've had 
it's really it's really interesting. Um, just had a gentleman too who was basically creating and the Instagram, Instagram at Facebook, Facebook's version of Instagram. Then they acquired Instagram. He integrated that. Uh, basically got asked to play roller derby hockey with Mark Zuckerberg, then created a company and sold that to Twitter and then started another. So there's like lots of amazing people's adventures and stories like that, that I've had access to, which has been life-changing. Sorry. Cool. How do you get access to those people? Are you simply just reaching out and saying, Hey, I'd love to interview you or do you have some system for doing that? Well, it's interesting. So now that my show has been around for a little while and I think we, we just passed like 300 episodes, not too long ago. So I have a combination. There's there's folks that I reach out to, and then there's also inbound. I have a lot of inbound requests. So I think I had like 250, 300 CEOs request to be on my show last year. Um, and so that's super positive. And then, you know, at the same time, I, I identify like different people that I think would be good on it too. So, so yeah, so it's a combo right now. It's fantastic. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting is uh, sometimes just reach out. You know, what, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, uh, I'm very into personal growth and personal development. There's a guy who I used to follow, uh, James Arthur Ray. Uh, I've flown all over the country to hear him speak, uh, you know, sometimes for five days at a time. And uh, I was sitting around one day and go, God, how cool would it be to interview James Arthur Ray? There's just no way he knows who I am. Why would he come on my silly little show? And I just reached out to his organization and said, there's no way James remembers me. I've been in a bunch of his seminars, but I'd love to interview him. And I, within a couple of days, I got an email back saying, James absolutely remembers you. He, I doubt that he really did, but uh, but uh, he'd love to be on your show. And, you know, just ask, uh, kind of like for referrals, just ask. Well, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, before we go, I, 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 is your company called Whale Selling? Oh, it's Whale Boss, Whale Boss. Whale yeah. Boss. Why Whale Boss? Yeah, it started off, and uh, I go back and forth on whether I, I like it or not. Uh, is um, I created it, what, three years ago. And so my primary focus uh, is on, or my expertise, I'd say, where I have a lot of credibility is on that high ACV side, so high annual contract value. And so those are called whales, right? And so that's kind of how it came to. People are like, you should do whale boss. I'm like, sure, why not? You know, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's kind of how it all came about, man. Could also have been elephant boss, right? Whale hunting or elephant <laughs> yeah, hunting. It's yeah, true. it's I, true. I usually advise salespeople, uh, and I'd like to take your get your take on that. Uh, for for most salespeople, they should always be going after a combination, you know, small, medium, and large size deals. If you're only focused on the whales, well, if you get them, they're great. But if you don't, you're kind of lost, and they usually take longer. What's your advice on that? I think it depends on the maturity of the organization and the skill set of the rep and the team. Uh, however, I would think there's always an element of having a balanced portfolio, just like you would with stocks and bonds, right? If you, if you have an investment portfolio, if, if we're in the situation you're talking about in your early stage, let, let's say you're early stage and you're a rep that doesn't have a lot of big company experience, I would have like 20% of my targets be bigger, bigger companies. And then 80% being, you know, medium and, and more predictable sales cycles. And then as time goes on. You could do that. You know, I, I started that strategy. So it was like a crawl, walk, run. Then we moved to like 70, 30, then 50, 50, and then, you know, 70, 30, big, 30% small. And so like, it all kind of depends on the stage, the risk tolerance, all that, just like investments. Got it. And uh, going back a question to Erica Vassell, a great sales trainer in her own right. And the founder of the blessing method said, just ask, just ask. Nice crown. Like the crown. <laughs> She's an interesting lady. You should definitely interview her. Any last uh, words of wisdom for the audience before we go? 
Uh, yeah, I, I would say the, the the biggest, like, and I'm on my soapbox on this. Like, I know you said that you don't think AI is going to replace salespeople. I do think it can replace salespeople at the bottom tier, especially. So, however, like, instead of hiding from it, like, embrace it and you'll differentiate versus 85 to 90% of your peers just by jumping on it now, learning it, using it, and uh, you'll be blown away with the results. So, that's my my recommendation to anybody who's listening right now. So much like you built yourself up to play football effectively by getting bigger and stronger and faster, invest the time and put in the effort now and uh, it should pay off down the line. Exactly. I'm with you, Ryan. Well, I really appreciate your time today and for your generously sharing your brilliance with us. Thank you so much. I will uh, end as I always do. Please guys remember that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks again, Ryan. Thanks, Jeff. Have a good one.